Is it all right if we change some things up on you? <laughs> We're going to do it anyway. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Those joining us online, welcome. Our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love. Family clap for them. Well, hey, today um, I want to continue talking to you about prayer. How many of you appreciated um, that other Steve guy from Australia last week? <laughs> Australians are great in moderation. And then... And um, they're, they're amazing. I, I love them. They're, they're, they've shaped me in my leadership, and they've helped me grow in my journey with Jesus. I want to talk to you about prayer today. Um, have you ever strived to accomplish something that you know you need to develop um, only to find yourself always um, failing at it? <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter how long you journey with the Lord, you, you are aware of the fact that I need to pray more. No one has ever come to me and said, Pastor, I have a problem. I pray too much. <laughs> um, but we should, as Scripture teaches us, pray without ceasing. Pray fervently. We should constantly be seeking after the things of God, yet there are things in our life that distract us, the busyness of everyday life, and, and we don't develop the lifestyle of prayer that maybe we really ultimately want. And I don't know what the driver is. One of the things I figured out in, in, in following Jesus is guilt is a horrible master. And condemnation is a horrible master. It never leads you to a better tomorrow. It actually shackles your feet and you end up just dragging through life, never living that abundant life that Jesus said he's come to give you in John 10, 10. And so how do you pray? And she's like, oh, don't look at me. Look at someone else. <laughs> but I believe that all of us, rather than developing patterns of events in our life where we pray and we fast and pray or we do something significant, I believe that we should learn how to live a lifestyle of prayer, constantly praying all the time. And you, you might say, well, that, that's going to be hard for me. I want to help reshape the way that you view prayer today. I want to help reshape the way that you view communicating with God. I don't know about you, but I was raised in the church and we had prayer meetings, prayer lists, prayer walks, fasting and praying, prayer conferences, prayer Bible studies, um, prayer small groups. We had prayer books that we would read. Everything could be focused upon studying and understanding what it means to pray, why we should pray, the importance of prayer, but we didn't pray. <laughs> and, and what I realized is how many of you would get on a phone, on the phone right now, pick it up and have a conversation while the phone was off. None of us would do that. Well, maybe some of us might. And uh, some of you do that when you see the person you don't want to talk to. And you're just like, oh, yeah, hold on. I'll be right there. I'm coming to the car. You know, you put your phone down. We don't do that because we know no one's on the other line. But what, if you really knew that, that, that your Father in heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, heard your prayer, he hears your requests, how much more would we pray? And how would it shape the way that we do life? I, um, I struggle to do, um, I have disciplines in my life, but I've always struggled to sit still for an hour and pray. I've always struggled with that. Um, I remember my spiritual formation class down at Regent University. I remember the first semester, the, press, the, the teacher, 
Mara Crabtree, Professor Mara Crabtree, she was amazing. And I believe she's still teaching there. And she says, what we're going to do, class, is we're going to find a place on campus. This was just a graduate school at the time. There were no undergraduate studies there. And, and she goes, you're going to find a place on campus. You're going to get alone with God. And you're going to pray for two hours. I was like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so the first time I went and I sat and I found the best spot on campus. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm studying to be a, a, a preacher of the word of God. I'm going to pray fervently. And I'm praying with passion and passion. And I'm going. And I'm thinking, surely I'm an hour into prayer. <laughs> and I look down. It's like two minutes have lapsed. You know. <laughs> and so then I'm like, that's all right. I'm just going to keep praying. And I'm praying for my family and my family's family. I'm praying for everybody. I'm praying. Someone's walking and taking the trash. I'm praying for that person. I'm praying for the creation. There's a bird. God, thank you for the birds in the air. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for this building. I'm thanking them for everything. I'm like, surely now I'm close to an hour at least. I was 20 minutes in my prayer. And I, I left actually that time um, discouraged, feeling like I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not like a spiritual believer. I'm not adequate. I'm not, I don't know how to pray. My attention span is like a gnat. I, I can't, I don't know how to stay focused that long. God, what, maybe, maybe everyone else is supposed to pray and I'm not supposed to pray like that. And it, I want you to know that the enemy will use everything possible to cause you to feel inadequate so that you don't walk in the way that God wants you to walk. And you give up on it. And and I realized in that moment when I went back to class that I was not the only one that struggled to pray for two hours. Does anyone else struggle to pray for two hours? Everyone's like. <laughs> and I don't believe we should. I believe there are times where we fast and pray. We, we make lists to pray through lists for people who are lost and broken and who need healing. And we do that as a family. As a church family, we do that. But I believe that all of us should form a lifestyle of prayer. Every single moment of our day, we're talking to Jesus, learning to talk to Jesus. And the irony in all of this is, have you had a conversation with someone where it wasn't really a conversation, it was a monologue, but they felt like it was a dialogue, but they did all the talking and you just sat there listening? Has anyone else had that? Now, some of you love that because you don't want to talk. You're like, hey, go ahead, keep going. This is great. I don't have to say a thing. My, life, my wife sometimes loves those conversations. She doesn't have to say a thing. You just go for it. And at the end of it, she's like, see ya, you know. But, but I've realized that, that in our time with the Lord, some of us haven't cultivated the time to after we speak, we sit and we listen. And to understand that we can hear from the Holy Spirit, that he can speak to you, that he can guide you and direct you in your journey. I remember growing up thinking, can I really ask God to intervene in this situation? It seems so menial seems so insignificant. Philippians 4, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, the posture of the heart, a thankful heart, present your request to God. The reality is, many of us as Christians, we view prayer as an emergency call. And for, for much of my life, I, I did this as well. I heard a quote one time that, that said some, went something like this, that many Christians view prayer like a spare tire in their car. They're glad it's there, but they, they hope they never have to use it. And the truth is, for us, I, growing up, I always viewed prayer as the 911 call to God. If someone was sick and dying, if someone needed a healing, if something 
tragic had transpired, then I just plead on my knees before God. And you know our God is faithful to listen to those prayers, to hear those prayers. But I believe He wants our prayer life to be so different. He doesn't desire it just to be the 911 call, but an everyday conversation. Um, how many of you have ever found yourself in the journey with Jesus asking, is this, is this worthy of me praying to God? And, and I, I, maybe we back up and don't ask that, but how frequently do, do you talk to Jesus throughout your day? How often do you ask him to help me in my attitudes and my behaviors to other people? In the countenance that I carry, help me, God, with my patience. Help me with my joy. Help me with my attitude to those who are around me. God, help me cultivate this, this sense of love that you call me to live in. God, help me in this. Can I tell you, almost the most significant prayers for me are the immediate ones that the Holy Spirit prompts me to pray right in the moment. Where I'm getting ready to say something and I feel like the Holy Spirit says, pray about it. Like, I don't want to pray, I want to say this, you know. Now pray about it. When I started in ministry, James 1.4 was a powerful verse for me. It says, let perseverance finish its work. We talked about this a few weeks ago. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Talking about persevering, staying in the fight, not running away and just giving up on it. Every time things get hard, you don't just run away, you don't leave. No, you stay planted and you persevere. And when perseverance finishes its work, you will be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And then verse 5 continues, and this is what it says. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom. How many of you have needed wisdom in the last few years? Have you asked God for it? The scripture says if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. And God doesn't give sparingly to you. Hey, I need wisdom, God. I'll just give you a little bit. I'll just give you just enough to get by. No, the scripture says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And he will be given to you, and it will be given to you. But listen what it says in verse 6. But, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Can I translate that for you? You cannot please yourself and God. You cannot please the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and also gratify the desires of the flesh. We're living in a culture right now, and, and, and um, you're, you're allowed to be a compassionate Christian with conviction. You don't have to pick. And, and we live in a culture today that says, no, well, you have to pick. You can either be compassionate or live with conviction. But my Bible teaches me that I can live and operate with both. Now, the truth is compassion that leads people far from God is not compassion that comes from the Scripture. It actually is selfish in its root, and it's selfish because it appeases how you feel, but it denies the authority of God. So when you go through life and people say, oh, you know, just have, just, just, I know you don't believe that, but just tell them because, you know what, you just love them and you want them to, to do what they want to do. <laughs> well, then you're not living with conviction. You're allowing the pressures of the world around you to get you into a place to convince you that you can operate to, in the flesh and in the spirit. And it says in the text that you cannot do that. A double-minded man cannot stand. It's actually easier, 
it's easier to pick a side. It's easier to pick a side. But many believers get caught in it. And I want to help you today learn how to live with conviction. Learn how to honor God. Can you say amen? I want this house to be a house that lives with conviction, that loves people, draws people to the house of God, but we learn to live with conviction. So we can ask God, we can ask for anything. We can bring our requests to him. We can approach him with anything. But in addition to that, the Bible speaks clearly, not only can we ask God for things, but it teaches us how do we approach God, the attitude and behavior of how we approach God. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, it says, therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Like we learned last week, he was fully God and he's fully man. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Here it is, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Everybody say confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Man, church, this is what I want our house to be is a house that approaches the throne of grace with confidence before God. Not confidence in what we've done, but confident in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To know that, man, he's finished this work. He's made a way where there is no way. He's paid for my salvation on the cross of Calvary. And so when I bring my request before God, I'm gonna go confidently as a son would go to a father. And that's how he wants you to approach things. But you know, it's a rhythm of learning how to ask, learning how to ask. Um, growing up, I, I was notorious for telling my father, I know. And um, I loved to be on equipment all the time, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And uh, my dad would teach me, and he was so patient. I need to learn more patience. And, and, and I would always, my dad would say, well, this is how I do this. I'd say, Dad, I know, you know. And... And I didn't realize how bad it was or how, how frustrating that was for my father until I had children of my own. And I'm like, hey, son, I want, I want, this is what, and he'd be like, dad, I know. Have you ever been on this? And then I'm going into dialogue with a five-year-old. Have you ever been on this? Do you know what you're doing? Dad, 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 I got it, dad, you know. And then disaster happens and he's like, sorry, dad, you know, and but that was me. That was me. I, 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 that's exactly the behavior. But this is what I realized is there's an autonomy in the sense of receiving. All, all, the desire to be autonomous before God will lead you down a path to never ask God for anything. You know what you'll say? I got it. And can I just tell you something? God doesn't look at a, at a, at a Christian who is mature and say, you never call on me. You're doing great. It's the opposite. It's those who are dependent upon the voice of God and need to hear his direction in every aspect of their life or constantly going to him and there's a strength and maturity in that person. I, re- I remember early on learning this from my parents and it seemed at times there would be the most silly things in life and, and I've heard some people say there's some things that you shouldn't pray about and I think everything can be brought before God yet in God's word, God clearly teaches us how to walk So if God tells us we should walk this way, we shouldn't say, hey, which way should I walk? I believe that we can pray about that. And God will, the Holy Spirit will remind you, go back to what it was, what I spoke about in this, in this passage of scripture. And you go back to scripture, you're like, ah, I know God, I know where I should go. And God leads you in that direction. 
But I remember growing up thinking, why are we praying about that? Why are we praying about that? That seems simple. But sometimes it's, it's in our arrogance that we deny communion or conversation with God. And we think we're, we're, we're some of us say silly things like, well, I'm sure God's busy with other things. <laughs> Scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knew you before you were formed in the womb of your mother, that he knows the hairs that are on your head, that his love towards you is so significant that he sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to walk this earth with the purpose of going to the cross to be brutally executed and to shed his blood for your salvation. Nothing that nothing you have is insignificant in conversation with God. He wants to hear it. Jesus constantly would pray. He prayed throughout his entire ministry. He never, he never says, I need to stop and pray. Can I help you today? Don't stop and pray. Pray in the rhythm of life. Some of you are like, man, I'm driving. I'm like, man, I can't. Well, tonight I need to pray. Pray in the car. I've been teaching the staff when someone says, hey, I need prayer. I'd be like, great, let's pray. <laughs> hey, can you pray for me? Yeah, let's pray. We, are, we have developed this sense of, hey, pray for you. I'll be praying for you. Why don't you pray now? What's preventing you from praying now? Nothing except this developed habit that says, I'll put it off until time is more convenient. Christ never did that. He would interrupt anything he had and say, we're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. And sometimes when needs are evident or you could be in conversations with people, if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, pray for this situation right now, stop and pray. I think the enemy loves for us to pocket prayer like we do everything else as we prioritize it in life. And I believe that prayer should be woven into every time slot of our day. Every, prayer has permission to interrupt you in any moment of your day. Can you say amen? And the only thing I've realized is that we either permit that or we don't. Prayer is a powerful, powerful spiritual weapon. Powerful weapon. Um, growing up in our culture, if you know somebody, sometimes that's, that's all that matters. Do you know what I mean? You get in trouble and maybe someone you know is in high places. And who do you try to call first? <laughs> like, hey, I got to call my uncle, my dad, my aunt, my cousin. We're always trying to get in touch and talk with the person who can help us the most. I want you to know that prayer should never be the secondary response for us. It should be the primary. Why? Because prayer is a powerful weapon. In Ephesians chapter 6, um, Paul teaches the church to learn how to stand firm. And he's telling them that you need to put on the full armor of God. I love this passage because it immediately brings me back to moments where I was fighting with my younger brother. In a good way, promoted by my parents. Um, where they gave us these little outfits of the armor of God and gave us wooden swords and we just beat each other up with them. But it was a Bible lesson, so it was, it was appropriate. And, and I remember just learning the scripture and in, in, in saying, stand firm. We had the belt of truth and we would put it on. We had the breastplate of righteousness. We had our feet. We had these little, they didn't last very long because they're made out of paper. They got ripped up pretty quickly. But the, our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We had a shield of faith which we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
and we can put on the helmet of salvation. And we had the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we beat the crap out of each other with the sword of the spirit. <laughs> but I remember running around and, and then as I grew in my knowledge of the word of God, I realized like that, that should be the believer every day. Every day we should be prepared to advance the things of God. And it's, it, it becomes clear now that you can either walk this life out in an apathetic way just to accomplish what you want to accomplish, or you can say, you know what, God, I believe you've placed me in this area, you've placed me in this town, you've placed me in this job, in this marriage, in this family for such a time as this, and I'm going to do everything I can to advance the gospel. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to do more than you've called me to do, but I want to hear the Holy Spirit. I want to respond to the Holy Spirit, and I want to develop a lifestyle of prayer. But you know, Paul never gives an assignment to or correlates, like he did in the other areas, something to prayer. The word of God was a sword. Truth was a belt. But he didn't assign anything to prayer. In verse 18, he says, in conclusion to the armor of God, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. On all occasion, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So he's essentially saying, yeah, you are fully prepped with all of the armor of God, but pray all the time, on all occasions, in the spirit. Uh, I, Pastor Steve had time with our staff, and he was encouraging us to pray in our heavenly prayer language, as Paul does in Scripture as he encourages the church. And that sustains me. I pray in tongues all the time. And you might say, well, hey, I don't, I don't see you, you doing that on the platform. I think there are many things that sustain the believer. How often do you see me praying alone? You don't see me pray alone, but I pray alone. And I don't see you pray alone. But there's evidence of your time in prayer because it's seen in public. What happens in private is developed in the public. And so I believe that that can sustain you, that can strengthen you. The Bible says to you that it can edify your spirit and your soul and it strengthens you just like when you spend time with God, you can leave that environment a different person. And so developing the prayer. I believe prayer is a weapon. It is, it is the, the, the secret weapon for the believer. It is that, that hypersonic guided missile that you can attack any demonic force on the planet in your home when you pray to God. It's a powerful thing. You know, I believe this with all my heart. One of the most significant things that happened that transpires in the time of prayer is, is you have the privilege to see things from a divine perspective. I believe that's what happens. And, and, and what, what is hysterical about this is we often go into prayer to change God's mind about how we want things to be. And then we leave humbled, surrendered to his will. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and he begins by teaching them not only to have a reverence and a fear of God, but begins by teaching them to pray that the will of the Father would happen here on earth as it does in heaven. So what does that mean? It means that his will does not always transpire here on earth, but we should pray fervently that his will does happen. Not my will, but your will be done. 
There's a passage of scripture in 2 Kings, probably one of the coolest passages if in all of scripture. And I'm not gonna lie, there's been moments in my journey where I've just closed my eyes and pictured myself in this situation when I've been in a difficult season. But this is what prayer does. It elevates your perspective. It doesn't allow you to see situations from a vantage point of lowliness, but I believe prayer elevates you to see not things in the natural, but things often in the supernatural, to see the invisible things or to see things the way that God sees them. In 2 Kings, Elijah is there and he's causing quite a problem with a foreign king or an adversary because he knows his moves before he does them. And so word was out that Elisha was in Dothan and he sends the army, this king sends an army to go after the prophet of God, Elisha. Elisha has a servant. His servant is there. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14, this is what the scripture says. It says, then he sent horses. This is the adversary, the king of the army against Israel. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there to get Elisha. They went by night and surrounded the city where he was. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Have you, ever, have you ever encountered like a real situation? It's a real situation. Maybe it's a report from a doctor. Maybe it's a situation with a family member. Maybe people are far from God. Maybe circumstances have unraveled in your life. And you go to seek counsel from someone and they said, be encouraged, God has it. I have to be really honest with you. When someone says things like that to me, I often, I want to respond in my flesh and say, I, I'm going to fight you. Like, this is, this is uh, there's a real situation. It's a real situation. And you're telling me, don't worry about the situation. Just sit on your butt and don't worry about it. No, no, that's not what Elijah's saying. Elijah's saying, no, no, don't worry about the adversaries that are before you. Now, it seems indifferent, apathetic. It seems ignorant. Everything about that statement seems wrong because it almost seems like we're acquiescing to the, to the strength of an adversary and just saying, well, if we're going to die, we're going to die. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, I, I've acknowledged opposition, but, but opposition in light of who God is, is always small. And so this is the prayer that Elijah prays. Listen to this. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed in that moment. He is surrounded not by a, a unseen spiritual army. He's surrounded by a literal army, horses and chariots of men. And he's unmoved by it. He's not overwhelmed. He's not sweating. His knees aren't shaking. He doesn't run around and call everyone to fast and to pray and to have all these things. No, he doesn't do that. This is what his prayer is. God, open his eyes. 
Now, if he said that, in the, in, if we were praying, I was with Elijah, and he said, open my eyes, I'd be like, Elijah, they are open. They're all standing right there. I can see them. You need to open your eyes because they're standing right there. We're all going to die. But this is Elijah's prayer. God, open his eyes. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. What I've realized is many of us see, but we're seeing the wrong thing. Stop telling me what you see in the natural and start praying that God would allow you to see the things in the supernatural. The kingdom that we are called to bring and to usher in is not a kingdom of this world. It is a kingdom of heaven. It is an upside down kingdom. So we often fight to advance a kingdom that exists here, but we are not citizens of this earth we are citizens of heaven so don't advance a kingdom that is something that God is going to overthrow in the end days anyway let's advance the things that he wants us to advance advance which is often the invisible things God opened his eyes and the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah some of you need to pray to see the army of God I'm telling you, he's there. The Bible says that he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And he's there. And sometimes it feels like an adversary is, is so close to you. Can I encourage you to pray fervently in those moments and to know and to recognize, ask God, God, let me see the things that you see. God, let me see the things in the supernatural. God, let me see the protection, the provision. God, let me see it. And I'm, I believe with all my heart that that's what prayer does. It elevates the perspective of a, of a of a follower of Christ. Do you know what separates a leader from a follower? Is that very thing, is a perspective. That's it. It's a perspective difference. Followers are used to walking like this, and a leader lifts his eyes up and looks in the distance and says, if God is for me, who can be against me? There's gonna be better days tomorrow. I know that there's an adversary before me, but when I close my eyes and pray, I see chariots of fire, and I see the Lord's army surrounding me. Can you say amen? James teaches us, James is, is, if anyone was from New Jersey in scripture, it was James. And James, James just, and the reason I love James is because he, he just doesn't have time to, to beat around the bush and time to just, you know, worry about your feelings. He just tells you what it is. He says, don't deceive yourself into thinking you could be merely hearers of the word. And when he says, don't deceive yourself, what he's suggesting to you is that you're deceived. So he's saying, you hear scripture, and you think because you hear it, you're a follower of Christ. You know how many people heard Jesus proclaim and how few followed? Hearing does not determine whether or not you are a follower of Christ. The movement of your life determines whether or not you follow. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you don't hear my words, you obey them. You obey my commands. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It doesn't mean I, I just follow a crowd. I follow Jesus, the King of Kings, and I obey his word. James says that the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, avails much. There is power in our prayer. There's power in our prayer. What are the things in your world right now that seem that, that, that they're immovable? Take them to the Lord in prayer. I love what the great evangelist George Muller said. This is what he says. He says it's a common temptation of Satan to make us give up on reading the word and prayer when our enjoyment of doing it is gone. As if it were of no use to read the scriptures when we do not enjoy them. 
and as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the word, the less we desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. Jesus teaches us to be persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. You're persistent at things that you know will bring about change. Continue to pray. And when I say change, be careful. Because just like Pastor Steve was teaching us last week, it is so true that we pray for God to change the circumstances around us and often the thing that God desires to change is the thing within us. But change what needs to be changed, Lord, so that we can be better followers of Jesus. Luke chapter 11, this is what the scripture says. It says, so I say to you, Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receive, receives, the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. When I hear that and, and I read that, I, at, first, at first sight I'm thinking, well, that just seems like a good little, little checklist. If I do all these things, then, then, then God has to answer my desires. That's not what it means. It's talking about a persistence, a, a persistence in the believer to run after the things of God, to be persistent. I read it like this. Keep speaking to Jesus. Keep speaking to Jesus. Keep looking for Jesus. In your life, sometimes we've lost sight of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our world. Keep looking for the Holy Spirit. He's always there, always working. And keep showing up for Jesus. Keep showing up for Jesus. Keep loving on people. Keep giving to people. Keep honoring people. Keep being a representative of Christ. Can you say amen? Every time we see Jesus praying in Scripture, he was praying with passion. Every single time. From his baptism to his transfiguration to his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was constantly praying with passion before the Father. I believe that we should be persistent, that we should have a passionate prayer life. Sometimes, listen to me, the enemy always wants us to be followers of our feelings. And whatever feels right and feels good to us in this season, we'll give ourselves to. But, but the Bible teaches us something completely different, that we are not to be led by our feelings, but to be led by the Spirit of God. As I read through the scriptures, I realize that gratitude is one of the most powerful tools that comes in alignment with prayer. In Philippians, in Ephesians, in 1 Thessalonians, Colossians, you could go through a list of scriptures that teach us that we should always pray with a spirit of gratitude. Why? Because what Christ has already done for us is enough. Is enough. Can you say amen? Is enough. And, and as we enter into the place to pray before God, we should always enter into that place with a spirit of gratitude saying, God, I thank you for where you've brought me today. <laughs> and that leads you into this place of humility to ask and to approach the throne room of grace with confidence before God. As a team comes back out and we begin to worship again, I want to leave you with this thought. In John chapter 10, Jesus is surrounded by followers. And these followers of Jesus were gathered around him. And they're saying, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? How long are you going to make us wait? <laughs> are you the Messiah or are you not? And this is what he says. He says, the works that I do 
in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe me because you are not mine. Listen to what he says. He says, but my sheep, they listen to my voice, to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Paul writes in Galatians, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You know what he's saying? Victory over sin is not the result of you living under the law. Victory over sin is a result of you actively yielding to the Spirit of God on a daily basis, praying constantly and being led by the Holy Spirit. Will you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you.